Welcome to the Creative Times Summit podcast, where each episode brings you a talk from our annual convening for thinkers, dreamers, and doers working at the intersection of art and politics. Find out more at creativetime.org. This summit podcast features the American poet and rapper Boots Riley, best known as the lead vocalist of political hip hop groups The Coup and Street Sweeper Social Club. Boots has been deeply involved with the Occupy Oakland movement and was the head of the activist group, The Young Comrades. He was a keynote speaker at our 2015 summit, The Curriculum, NYC. This is for my folkers who got bills overdue. This is for my folkers, um, check one, two. This is for my folkers, never lived like a hog. Me and you, toe to toe, I got love for the underdog. This is for my folkers who got bills overdue. This is for my folkers, um, check one, two. This is for my folkers, never lived like a hog. Me and you, toe to toe, I got love for the underdog. I raise this glass for the ones who died meaninglessly and the newborns who get fed intravenously. Somebody's mama caught a job and a welfare fraud case. When she breathes, she swear it feel like plastic wrap around her face. Lights turned off, this the third month the rent is late. Thoughts of being homeless, crying till you hyperventilate. Despair permeates the air and sets in your hair. The kids play with that one toy they learned how to share. Coming home don't ever seem to be a celebration. Bills stay piled up on the coffee table like they decoration. Heaping spoons of peanut butter, big ass glass of water. Make the hunger subside. Save the real food for your daughter. You feel like swinging haymakers at a moving truck. You feel like laughing so it seems like you don't give a fuck. You feel like getting so high you smoke the whole damn crop. You feel like crying, but you think that you might never stop. Homes with no heat stiffing your joints like arthritis. If this was fiction, it'd be easier to write this. Some folks try to front like they so above you. They tear this motherfucker up if they really loved you. This is for my folkers who got bills overdue. This is for my folkers, um, check one, two. This is for my folkers, never lived like a hog. Me and you, toe to toe, I got love for the underdog. There's certain tricks of the trade to try to Stop your to try to halt your defeat. Like taking Tupperware to an all you can eat. <laughs> Returning you shit for new saying you lost your receipt. And writing four figure checks when your accounts deplete. Then all your problems pile up about a mile up. Think about a partner you could dial up to help you out this vile stuff. Whole family sleeping on the futon while you clipping coupons, eating salad, trying to get full off the croutons. Across town, the situation is identical. Somebody getting strangled by the system and its tentacles. Misconceptions raise questions to be solved. A lot of dope boys is broke. A lot of homeless got jobs. You can make eight bones an hour till you pass out and still be ass out. Most pyramid schemes don't let you cash out. They say this generation made the harmony break. But crime rise consistent with the poverty rate. You take the workers from jobs, you gon' have murders and mobs. 
a gang of preachers screaming sermons over murmurs and sobs, saying, pray for a change from the Lord above you. They tear this motherfucker up if they really loved you. This is for my folkers who got bills overdue. This is for my folkers, um, check one, two. This is for my folkers, never lived like a hog. Me and you, toe to toe. I got love for the underdog. You like this song because it's relatable. It's you in a rhyme. We go to stores that only let us in two at a time. We live in places where it costs to get your check cashed. Arguments about money usually drown out the tech blast. Work six days a week, can't sleep Saturdays, though. Muscles trembling like a pager when the battery's low. And you still don't know where the years went. Although every single shift feel like a year spent. And you could write your resume, but it wouldn't even mention all the life lessons learned during six years of detention. And how you learned the police was just some handicappers on the ground next to broken glass and candy wrappers. So don't accept my collects on the phone. Just hit me back at the house so I know I ain't alone. And we could chop it up about this fucked up system. Homies that's been killed, how we always gonna miss them. It's almost impossible surviving on this fraction. Sip a 40 to the brain for the chemical reaction. You gotta hustle, cause they trying to push and shove you. I'll tear this motherfucker up, since I really love you. This is for my folkers who got bills overdue. This is for my folkers, um, check one, two. This is for my folkers, never lived like a hog. Me and you, toe to toe. I got love for the underdog. So um, I think I should make clear that in that song, when I say tear this motherfucker up, what I mean to be specific, and you would get this if you heard the rest of the album that that song is in context with, uh, what I mean to be specific is that we need to overthrow capitalism and create a system in which the people democratically control the wealth that we create with our labor. Now, um, and I chose that because a lot of my songs just, I don't like doing them a cappella, and that's one of them that I like doing a cappella. But it actually is maybe one of, uh, it kind of falls into the category of, of art that, that uh, has a little more doom and gloom in it uh, that, that a lot of us fall into, into the practice of. That's a song that I wrote a while ago, although I tried to have some uh, hope, some idea of changing the world in it. It's something that, that uh, had a lot of it is very much in the vein that, um, that artists who are trying to put in radical or progressive ideas do, which is this idea of my job is to expose the truth, right? We're told that we, or we often have this idea that as artists, what we're trying to do is show people how messed up this system is, right? Let's, let's show, let's detail those things. And I think that's important. But the truth that, as we all know it, most people know that this, that this world is fucked up, right? We're not saying anything new. 
with that. The part that we're missing is, and, and when we talk about why isn't everybody up in arms, why isn't everybody, why is, why is whatever movement that we're doing not bigger? And often, you know, uh, pundits or, you know, people writing about it will, will say that it's because uh, people don't know the truth or that people are not, people are apathetic. But the truth is, is that people are not apathetic. They're very uh, angry about the way things are. But we haven't shown them how to change what's going on. We have not included that part in our art. We've been talking about what's messed up, but we don't even have a sense, probably most of us, we don't have a sense of how we are going to change it. So in, in a certain sense, we end up using our art as we should to express what's on our mind. But, you know, what's on our mind is, is, is a byproduct of what's going on in the general, as artists, what's, going, what's on our mind is a byproduct of the general radicals and, and progressive movements that are going on right now, which for the past 50 years have all but abandoned class struggle in favor of spectacle. Where right now, and, and that's supposed to be the artist's job, so we're confused because if, if the whole point of a movement is to get people onto the street, to let our voices be heard, and that's the be all, end all of a movement, is to let people's voices be heard, then we're like, okay, well, we're letting our voice be heard and, and, and there's a little bit of confusion. And, and, and that focus on spectacle that the left has had um, has not always been there. It's something, you know, relatively new, and I say in the last 50 years, that came along uh, with the new left movement. However, before that, here in the United States, there was a much more radical movement that wasn't just focused on spectacle, and it was not a different movement. It was the, or it was the beginnings of what we have now. And, and that time period was during the 20s and 30s. During the 20s and 30s in the United States, you had uh, people occupying factories in the Midwest. You had uh, miners in, the, in, in Utah and in, and, and in Colorado and in Alabama, uh, actually in armed struggle in certain cases with, with the company owners. You had on the West Coast, um, you, had, you had the Longshoremen Strike, a bunch of folks who were thought to be the most unorganizable of the workers, because they were thought as being less skilled than custodians, right? And they were thought to be, have so much more turnover, but they had a militant strike in which they were encountering tanks from the US Army, things like that. This was going on during the 20s and 30s. Um, uh, at the same time, there was something that was somewhat unrelated, but it's still relevant. There was something called the Bonus March, in which veterans marched to the White House, many of them with guns, 
saying that they needed their, their bonus pay. It was during this, and at the same time, there was one million card-carrying communists during that same time, whose, who's obviously, the objective is to create a system in which the people democratically control the wealth that we create with our labor. Now, it was under this, uh, in this atmosphere that the, that, that the things that, that we can always, that people always tout as being part of, quote unquote, America came about. A lot of the things, Medicare, Social Security, welfare, um, you, you name it, a bunch of stuff that they call the New Deal, that they credit to being, to being some benevolence of the president at the time. And it's part of this telling of this history why so many people are stuck on us trying to figure out who to elect to save us. Because they don't really tell the history that those, those reforms were made simply because the ruling class was scared of a possible viable revolutionary movement growing. And, and, and so from that point, so those, those gains were made there was quickly, soon after that, um, the Communist Party USA and other radicals formed uh, the United Front Against Fascism. Because the 40s came and the US was joining with Russia to defeat Hitler. And the idea was that they weren't going to challenge the US here so that the US wouldn't have any problems getting rid of Hitler and uh, the fascist forces. That meant going underground. That meant being secretive uh, for a good number of years. And this led to, you know, the, the, this led to there being this time in the 50s where they could have the McCarthy era and House Un-American Activities Committee that pointed at revolutionaries and said, oh, that's a communist. They haven't been telling you. They've been hiding it for all this time. And they had been. They'd been hiding it. And at, and so the, that combined with revelations about atrocities that Stalin had done uh, created all these splits. And the, out of these splits in the 50s grew these organizations that were the beginning of the New Left Movement. The New Left Movement did things differently. One thing they did really well was say, fuck that, we're not hiding anymore. We are revolutionaries, right? very often. We're radicals. We're revolutionaries. We want to change the world. The other thing they did that wasn't, that, that, that I think proved to help us be in this place that we're at right now um, is that they, they moved away from certain areas. A lot of the areas they were in before um, are places that we think of as re Republican bastions and we think of right as right-wing areas. Um, those are the red states when back in the day they were actually red states. Um, folks, radicals moved, moved to the cities and focused on students. So in the 60s, we always, when, I, when I went to college in the early 90s, we would always talk about, yeah, I wish it was like the 60s. Yeah, I wish it was like the 60s. And really the 60s 
we're a step back from what had been before. Because now you're focusing on students and you don't have the ability to shut down things and withhold labor. Now, uh, most folks who know how this system works, even folks that don't, under, understand just the idea that the folks with the money have the power. The, and, and even if you don't understand, even if you're not using the lingo that, are, that radicals use, people understand that where they get their money is from their businesses. And we work at those businesses. And that shutting down labor, shutting down withholding labor is a way to, and is the primary way that you have class struggle. However, radicals at, on a whole, and there are some, I'm, I only have a little bit of time, so I'm leaving out a lot of good shit that is contrary to that, <laughs> but radicals on a whole left labor alone, left labor to the liberals, right? And so, and focused on, on, on spectacle. How many people can we get in the street? Where in the 60s, it became the goal to get people on the street, and they still call it a demonstration, but that word was more applicable in the 20s and 30s when it really was simply a demonstration of power. Like, we've got 20,000 people on the street just to show you these are 20,000 people that tomorrow can go on strike and shut your business down, so do what we want you to do. Right? right now, we as radicals are telling people, you get out in the street, you let your voice be heard, and people in power are going to feel guilty. Right? <laughs> They're going to feel like they don't have a mandate and they got to, you know. They, and, and what we're doing is teaching the wrong analysis. That's what we're doing. And we do it, we're doing that through words, we're doing that through art. And it's not simply the artist's fault, it's because we're, we're, we are following the mode that the movement is in. You know, um, and, and, and it, so it's very easy to go from movements that say, look how many people we have on the street, to, to voting. Because it's the same fallacy, it's the same illogical argument. Because we know that power is not in the halls of, of Washington. We know that power is with the puppet masters who control those puppets, right? And that we don't have a direct line to them by electing which puppet gets into office. Our direct line to them is by cutting off their profit margins, right? Then they make their puppets dance however we want them to dance, right? But, and we know this, but that right now, when we talk about that, that seems so different from most of the stuff we're involved in, right? So it, it, so, so it becomes like, well, wow, we got to do things a lot differently. Because the truth is, the folks that are organizing labor right now don't have social change in mind. I'm not talking about, there's some very cool radicals that are involved in labor, but I'm talking about the heads of these major labor organizations. They're, they're not radical in the sense of what they're doing. They're not trying to 
create a movement to create social change. Um, and that's because radicals have left that, that area of work alone. And, and I'm not talking about just those unions that exist. I'm talking about there's large sectors of work that aren't organized. Anything in which you get paid a wage and they make a profit is something that we can organize, right? What, and, and so why am I, okay, this is an artist conference. Why am I talking about this here? It's because we're supposedly providing some ideas to people, right, with our art. We're supposedly, it, and often though, what, if, if without that answer, with, with us just making a spectacle about what's wrong, we influence people to not do anything, right? Um, so much of political, what's thought of as political music, I, all music is political, that's a whole, I, a lot of people would agree with that here. But so much of what's thought as like radical or progressive music is all about anger, right? Let's get angry. And with the idea that people aren't already angry. And so it leads to this situation where you, you have people listening to the music and getting pumped up and then doing, some, doing almost totally the opposite. You let, you, if anger is the last, is, is the end result of your art, then you leave people open to, then there is no answer about what you're supposed to do about it, right? So therefore, your art can be, you know, you can put that art up in the bank because fine, it's fine to get angry because it's still gonna be here. You're not talking about doing anything about it, right? Or your music can be played to torture people because it's not really, yeah, we want you to get angry, right? It's not, it, it, the, the, the part that we need to focus on if we wanna make radical art is organizing against capitalism. And it's not something we can do alone as artists. It's not something we can efficiently do alone as artists because we can have all these ideas, we can read them in books, we can you know, take a class on it, and then we make a piece of art that totally misses the mark because we're, we haven't been involved with trying to get people involved in that movement, right? We end up having a different view of what, what needs to be addressed. And because a lot of time, and so one of, one of the problems that I uh, see with my work is that a lot of times people will come up to me and be like, your music really inspired me. I've been listening to it a lot. And uh, you know, it, it, it really inspired me to be an artist. And you know, okay, I'm an artist, so I can't really, but that's not my goal. I'm not trying to create more artists. I mean, I think everybody should be able to be an artist. We all don't have the time and we all don't, you know, um, it, 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 that's something that should, should, should happen. But why, is, why does my work create more artists instead of more organizers? I do get people saying they became an organizer and part of it had to do with listening to my music. But a lot of that has to, a lot of it has to do with the ability 
of that person who's consuming the art to go and get involved in something real, something practical, something that actually changes the material condition of their lives. And if those movements aren't within their vicinity or if we're not leading them to those movements, it becomes a similar frustrating thing. Like people are like, wow, okay, I wanna do what he's doing because that's the only answer I see is to put out this, to, to put the answer out more, you know? Um, but um, when I do see my art effective, I, I see it as being very much affected by my time as an organizer, as being able, which gives you a skill of figuring out how to get someone to do something, which is much different than how to tell somebody something, right? That's, that's a whole different thing. Like, how do you, you know, I'm gonna give you this information and they can do whatever they want to with it. But if you have experience working on campaigns that need to get people involved in it, then you realize whether what you're saying is working or not, right? You realize whether, you know, where people are at when you're having a conversation with people. And where, where is the point of contradiction that can be handled in your art? It's something that makes art more relevant. It's, it's, and, and so what I would say to folks, because the other part of that conversation is when people are like, I became an artist because of what you do, what should I do? I'm saying, you need to join an organization and you need to, you need to get involved in an actual campaign. Because this idea that an artist is over here and a uh, hamburger cook is over here and an organizer is over here, it really doesn't happen that way in real life. And our struggle to only be one thing can only make our art, you know, can only make our art less relevant. Now, of course, you need to spend time on your craft. I hate stuff that has the same ideas I have, but it's terrible. <laughs> I hate that. Like, I don't want anybody to hear that. I'm like, oh, no. You know, I, I mean, artists, if anything, are people who are communicating but realize that, uh, that aesthetic and form are very much a primary part of any communication, right? So you have to master the form, master the aesthetic that you're using. And so that takes some time. So don't get me wrong, you can't just not focus on being an artist. Um, just like you can't not focus on knowing what language you're speaking to someone. You have to be speaking the same language as, what, as they speak. Um, but in general, if we want our art to be exposing the truth, then our art has to have an analysis of the whole truth. And a real analysis of the whole truth has to do with, with the way that this economic system is actually forming the, the, the results of what we see every day. And that and the further part of that real analysis tells us that there's something to be done about that. And that something to be done is going to have to do 
with organizing a radical militant labor movement that is able to use withholding of labor as a, as a strategy and tactic for all of these things. And I'm not saying that the, a labor movement just has to do with figuring out how much wages we're getting. But I'm talking about something that deals with the, the, the problems that we're dealing with. I mean, how, how much different would that situation have been in, in Ferguson um, when it, if for the last 25 years, radicals had been organizing labor and been able to shut down the city of St. Louis um, until we, people got what they wanted. I, I, that would have, if you shut down the city of St. Louis for three days, you would have seen something happen, right? And by the city, it would mean just a few of the major, uh, a few of the, 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 the major industries, some of the things going down. But we're looking at all of these, we, we've, because things have become so much about spectacle, we've lost even the ability to make really effective spectacle, right? And, I, and obviously, I think spectacle is necessary. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if I didn't think it. But we need something real that is, that is tangibly connected to power, that is tangibly connected to the way that power actually works. And once we start doing that, then people will look at these situations as, and not feel powerless and feel like there is something they can do. There's not, for, for instance, the truth is that, that, that there's not many black folks that don't agree with the Black Lives Matter movement, for instance. There's, not, there's, there's also not many white folks that do, but I'm using this as an example because it's the easiest. But for all the black folks that are involved, Black Lives Matter movement is still pretty small compared to the population of people that are angry about police brutality. That doesn't have to do with, that doesn't have to do with uh, a lack of effort by the folks in the Black Lives Matter movement. That has to do with a, a lack of a feeling of power that that folks have, and a lack of a clear strategy for changing the world that we've been putting out. So we as artists need to be at the forefront of putting out this analysis that we need radical change through withholding of labor and we need to create a mass radical militant labor movement. So that's it, I'm out of time. All right. Lead support for this podcast comes from the Trust for Mutual Understanding, Blum Media International, and the Blum Family Foundation. Additional creative time support is provided by the Ford Foundation, Lamben Foundation, Toby Devin Lewis, and the Andy Warhol Foundation for the Visual Arts, as well as Creative Time's generous trustees and individual donors. Since 1972, Creative Time has worked with artists to contribute to the dialogues, debates, and dreams of our times. To show your support for Creative Time, please visit creativetime.org slash join.